A little farther on I struck into a side-path which led, as I knew, in the direction of a small pond. That pond I had had in my mind when I put the box of collecting tubes in my pocket, and I now made my way to it as directly as the winding track would let me. But still it was not the pond or its inmates that occupied my thoughts, but the mysterious maiden whom I had left peering into the undergrowth. Perhaps, if she had been less attractive, I might have given her less consideration. But I was twenty-five, and if a man at twenty-five has not a keen and appreciative eye for a pretty girl, there must be something radically wrong with his mental make-up. In the midst of my reflections I came out into a largish opening in the wood, at the centre of which, in a slight hollow, was the pond a small oval piece of water fed by the trickle of a tiny stream, the continuation of which carried away the overflow towards the invisible valley. Approaching the margin, I brought out my box of tubes, and uncorking one, stooped and took a trial dip. When I held the glass tube against the light and examined its contents through my pocket lens, I found that I was in luck. The catch included a green hydra clinging to a rootlet of duckweed, several active water fleas, a scarlet water mite, and a beautiful sessile rotifer. Evidently this pond was a rich hunting ground. Delighted with my success, I corked the tube, put it away, and brought out another, with which I took a fresh dip. This was less successful— but the naturalist's ardour and the collector's cupidity being thoroughly aroused, I persevered, gradually enriching my collection and working my way slowly round the margin of the pond, forgetful of everything, even of the mysterious maiden, but the objects of my search. Indeed, so engrossed was I with my pursuit of the minute denizens of this watery world that I failed to observe a much larger object which must have been in view most of the time. Actually, I did not see it until I was right over it. Then, as I was stooping to clear away the duckweed for a fresh dip, I found myself confronted by a human face, just below the surface and half concealed by the pondweed. It was a truly appalling experience. Utterly unprepared for this awful apparition, I was so overcome by astonishment and horror that I remained stooping, with motion arrested, as if petrified, staring at the thing in silence and hardly breathing. The face was that of a man of about fifty or a little more, a handsome, refined, rather intellectual face, with a moustache and Van Dyke beard, and surmounted by a thickish growth of iron-grey hair. Of the rest of the body little was to be seen, for the duckweed and water crowfoot had drifted over it, and I had no inclination to disturb them. Recovering somewhat from the shock of this sudden and fearful encounter, I stood up and rapidly considered what I had better do. It was clearly not for me to make any examination or meddle with the corpse in any way, Indeed, when I considered the early hour and the remoteness of this solitary place, it seemed prudent to avoid the possibility of being seen there by any chance stranger. 
thus reflecting with my eyes still riveted on the pallid impassive face so strangely sleeping below the glassy surface and conveying to me somehow a dim sense of familiarity i pocketed my tubes and turning back stole away along the woodland track treading lightly almost stealthily as one escaping from the scene of a crime <laughs>